We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back on the Yin's No Ball podcast to kick off the week. And Brad, we timed this up pretty perfectly. We didn't record until after the Steelers announced a new offensive coordinator. I was... I didn't know whether it would be Tuesday or Thursday. I was, and we record both days. So I was like, should we go for it Tuesday? And I think it's Thursday, but then I don't know. Rooney's comments yesterday made me think that it was likely that it would happen at some point today. Um, and uh, I got a text from, Oh no, it was you actually that texted me and I wasn't on my phone when it happened and you just texted me, LOL. And I knew immediately it was Arthur Smith that the Steelers had hired as offensive coordinator. So Arthur Smith last three years in Atlanta as their head coach, two years before that offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. That is really the only coaching history. I think that's super applicable here. Um, we don't need to get necessarily his full resume, but uh, we will talk about uh, him extensively today on the podcast. So I'm uh I don't excited is probably the wrong word given the appalling statistics that you and I have just spent the last while looking up in addition to just knowing Arthur Smith. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that we hadn't heard about more interviews and we've talked to think about how the Steelers keep things very, very, you know, kind of clamped down and that stuff doesn't really come out until after the interview. So I was thinking, okay, maybe we're going to get a couple tweets from the main account or whatever, you know, announcing they've talked to people, but it, it had gone on a little bit too long. We saw Zach Robinson go to Atlanta and so it was like, all right, they're not going to hire Cliff Kingsbury. So I guess it's going to be Arthur Smith. And uh, here we are. I have been probably one of the more vocal critics of Arthur Smith. This is since before his Steelers days. So uh, Steelers fans who think I'm just being critical because that's what I do with the Steelers. I've been pretty critical of him over the last couple of years. I uh, was pretty skeptical after his time in Tennessee that he was going to be the right hire, but I was quiet about it at the time because I don't first time guys in these gigs. Like I rarely am critical um, of those just because I think there's just so much unknown from our vantage point. And I know people have, I've gotten so many tweets over the last couple of weeks of who I think should be this, at the top of the Steelers list of OC. And my answer to each is I don't know because there's so many candidates I don't know enough about. So I can't know who to stack where necessarily, but I would be more like my inclination is that the best possible path for this team would be to be to hire a candidate I know very little about because that would be better than the path that's been tried and failed. Um, however, the Steelers saw it differently. No surprise there. They almost always do see it differently than I do. And they decided to go down a path that has tried and failed quite miserably and quite recently in Arthur Smith. Uh, and that is who they have hired. The Falcons head coach uh, was, was he seven? What was his record? Seven and he was seven and 10, three years in a row, seven and 10, three years in a row. Yes. In so Atlanta. Consistency, um, you know, the yeah, inverse 10 and seven. Right? That's what you want. Yeah. Seven and 10. Yep. Just a yeah. little bit lower of a mark to aim, aim yep. for. 
than yep. the Steelers recently aimed for. So it's uh, yeah, good. Moving in the right direction for sure. My biggest thing and my biggest concern with this, like, was that how is this the best you can do? Like, if you talk about like this is it for Tomlin, dude. Like, he has to get this higher right. Like, I don't care about the track record in Pittsburgh and all that stuff. Rooney was clear yesterday when he talked. Like, they, tired of this team needs to get on a serious winning track. He's not going to stay around more than the next two years if this Arthur Smith hire does not work out. So your best shot at this thing was to hire a guy who has just fallen on his face for three straight years and has very little track record of being successful. He was successful in Tennessee, which we'll get to. He deserves credit for, for sure. There's definitely some good things there, perhaps. But where they won with basically nobody up until this past season with uh, with uh, Mike Vrabel. And so I, I just have a lot of questions even about that. Like if you're going to give him success for those two years in Tennessee where they were definitely good and better than you would assume the sum of their parts, and then you watch what happened in Atlanta under his reign and ranking 26th, 15th, 26th in points per game over his three years there. How is this the best you can do in a year you have to have it? In a year, you should be moving toward a more modern approach on offense. You should be moving toward what's new, what's on the cutting edge of things, what's working, what hasn't been solved lately. Who are the innovators in the space that we can get behind? Instead, you go in the completely opposite direction of where this organization needed to go. Now, it's not surprising because he's talked about this with Tomlin many times before, right? He loves the tried and true. He thinks that if no matter what, if you're established, if you get into this building with him, he can reverse those trends, go against the grain, and continue to be successful. So it is an ego hire to a degree, for sure. However, not in the way that some people might think of it. It's not like Tomlin wants all this praise and glory for himself. It's an ego hire because he genuinely believes he can continue to transform everything that he touches, even though it's not been true. And you hope this could be an opportunity to move in another direction, and it just absolutely is not. It's a, it's a completely underwhelming hire. The risk factor is so massive here to talk about because – you could, let's say in a vacuum, they hire a guy who ran a very similar scheme, but, you know, let's say same track record, former OC, head coach, but it's like, okay, they're bringing a guy that they don't think they have to change a lot for because it is kind of a, again, not a do or die year. I don't think Tomlin gets fired. There was some stuff going around about him getting extended before the season. So, I mean, look, if they go like four and 13, sure. Um, or if he goes seven and 10 and then the next season, like probably on the hot seat, but you're also bringing in a guy, and we're going to get into it, who is a dramatic departure from what you do. Like, maybe the biggest of all the candidates they're going to talk to maybe does things differently than what they do. It's hilarious. Like, we're looking up stats for the show, and it's literally like Atlanta ranks top three and Pittsburgh ranks bottom three and like, everything I've looked at so far. So it's like, not to say that's bad. I tweeted out. We, we'll get into I guess we can get, can get into it. Like, from the run game, pers- run game perspective on an efficiency basis, which is funny, you tweeted out that the Steelers have actually been better uh, than the Atlanta Falcons the last three years, and, and that is what you are buying with Arthur Smith. He's not a pass game coordinator savant by any stretch of the imagination, but schematically, I, like you could argue if Mason Cole is still on the roster, it does help him, I think. I think it helps James Daniels. I do think Broderick Jones is maybe the single biggest benefactor of this hire of anyone on the entire roster outside of Jalen Warren and, you know, pause for laughter, Connor Hayward or whatever obscure player you think is now going to get a, a dramatically too high target share. But it's just like the risk of now, I'm sure it's different language. Every aspect of what you do fundamentally, technically is so, so different in kind of like a do or die scenario. It's, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. In recent reports, I think Rappaport was just on uh, Insiders on NFL Network, and he was talking about how Arthur Smith had other options, was going to be an OC somewhere for sure, and he really chose the Steelers. So he was clearly top of the Steelers list, like no question. 
that was the their like target was was Arthur Smith. Now, do I think Arthur Smith is in general a terrible offensive coordinator? I think there are some decent things about Arthur Smith as an offensive coordinator. None that would make him even close to a guy that I would hire for this role, to be clear. But people have to understand, when we criticize this hire, we are criticizing it against the other options and other paths that were not traveled. Not Matt Canada. <laughs> Please hear us on that. Arthur Smith is leaps and bounds better yes. than Matt Canada, and he yeah. is an actual NFL offensive coordinator. Like, he is an actual offensive coordinator. Whereas Matt Canada was, as we've said many times on this podcast and with Ollie, was actually a fraud masquerading as a Steelers offensive coordinator who fooled Mike Tomlin for three years. Like that's what Matt Canada was. And you can ask people all over the league about that. Nobody, everybody was completely shocked when that happened. And there won't be buzz about Matt Canada getting a coordinator job again uh, this off season. And so that, and that's a reason why that that's the case. And so we are talking about two totally different things here. Yes. However, even in the midst of that, even in the midst of a mess that was in Pittsburgh, they were still, better at doing the main thing that Arthur Smith is supposed to be able to do, which is run the football. Well, I tweeted this out before the show because I just couldn't even believe it. I knew that it was going to be close. Cause I knew the Falcons were like very overrated in terms of rushing since Arthur Smith was there, but over the last three years. So during Arthur Smith and Matt Canada's tenure, Arthur Smith's tenure in Atlanta, Matt's Matt Canada's time in Pittsburgh, the Steelers were 10th in rush EPA per play. The Falcons were 20th. The Steelers were eighth in rush success rate. The Falcons were 27th. It is almost impossible. Like those aren't even close. The Falcons were one of the worst rushing teams in the league for three years under Arthur Smith. Three-year <laughs> sample size of being terrible at this thing. And the Steelers were in the absolute bottom pits of the NFL in terms of offensive football during that time. And they were still better at running the football than the Atlanta Falcons, the thing that Arthur Smith is supposed to be able to do. He This hire is so they can lean more into what their strength is and build a sustainable environment around the quarterback who, who can be a game manager. And if they're lucky and everything goes right and the AFC is as messy as it was those years, maybe they can sneak into a playoff win and make it further than you would ever have thought those Titans teams could. That Arthur Smith, that's the blueprint. That's the ceiling that this team is aiming for. No higher. That's it. That's disappointing. Yeah. yeah, you're chasing a high floor. There's no doubt about it. You are not trying to elevate to the level of being a contender in today's National Football League. That, that That's a very, you know, cut and dry. And again, we understand not every team can get a Patrick Mahomes. There are different ways to win. But it's like w the ways to mask having bad quarterback play, we see it in San Francisco. Or not bad quarterback play. I'm not trying to bash Brock Birdie. But like to help manufacture easy throws and do things to make it so that you're less talented quarterback than the elites can still be successful. Like Arthur Smith doesn't do that. He does not accentuate those things. And yeah, like you talked about too, the, the lack of the, the lack of success on the ground is funny because of course nothing is clean comparing football teams, but with it's actually very clean here. Like you said, three year sample, both teams, you could say, well, the quarterback play didn't help the run game that applies to both. Like Kenny Pickett wasn't opening more rushing lanes than guess Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke were like, it's the same. Um, so yeah, you have teams coming to stack in the box, knowing what you're going to do. You're predictable, and, and and Pittsburgh was still a top ten rushing team in in the two you know categories you mentioned. So yeah, it, that's just kind of the unfortunate part is like it's just such a safe high floor play. Um, you could argue it's not even that, but but you're not chasing a ceiling at all. And so it's like, is your is your goal just to go ten and seven every year and lose in the first round? Maybe it is, and, and that could continue, no doubt about it, but. 
if you'd come out and say, yeah, this is our move that we think can get us from first round exit to championship game participant, like you don't believe that. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what's so disappointing about the move. It's not that Arthur Smith is like the worst possible hire they could have made or on the level of Canada or Feetner, some of these guys before. It's not like he isn't a, a step up from them, even if it is considerably small. And we'll talk about the pass game stuff, which is what this gets really ironic, is because his passing attacks have actually been better than his rushing attacks. And he's and they've not been good, but they've been better than his rushing attacks. And so that's what's really funny about this. Now he doesn't pass enough. We'll get to that for sure. There's a lot of issues still there, but um it, it's 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 amazing how none of this seems to line up. Like th- that's the other part of it. There's the part of it that's there's a part of it that makes no sense because Arthur Smith has failed for three straight years at producing a good offense in the NFL. People like that aren't supposed to move into these positions for a team that should be in desperation to get out of purgatory and to get back to the top. Like that's where the Steelers should be. They should be striving for that. And instead, this is a move that solidifies the fact that this is a team that an organization that is completely comfortable, which is something I've said for years. The standard is just way lower than it's ever been in Pittsburgh. They are, they want to be a remotely competitive football team. And they think somewhere along the way of being a remotely competitive football team, they will just fall backwards into more offense, more success, some sort of gem uh, that hits for them at quarterback or something like that. They think that's going to happen rather than following a good process. They just feel like if they can stay in this area long enough, eventually something's going to lock in. They're going to lock into something. And 
It could take 10, 15 years. They don't care. They'd rather be here than be discovering or trying or searching for a better ceiling, even if it means that the floor could be lower to the hiring. And so that is super disappointing about the process. But then even just if you look at it schematically, like, and philosophy-wise, the fit makes absolutely no sense, as you mentioned. Like, other than just like, I guess in the philosophy of the Steelers want to gravitate and move toward being this run-heavy football team and all these things, like, that part maybe makes sense. But like in the details and the minutiae of what they do, it's absolutely bizarre. The Steelers last year, 62% of the time, they were in 11 personnel. Now they started gravitating toward uh, more 12 personnel as the season went on. And you mentioned that a little bit with their tight end options, but it's it's like the Falcons have really had like Cal Pitts as a receiver and then blockers outside of that. Like, so they have really gravitated toward better blocking tight ends. So Washington, yeah, it's a fit for him, but what is Fryermuth going to look like in this offense? I think is a very fair question. The Falcons were dead last in the NFL. 14% of the time they spent in 11 personnel. 14% in today's NFL. I mean, that just, that is insane. The Steelers were 62%, fourth in the NFL. Like, unless you have the 49ers, the Dolphins, the Ravens scheme, like, it's just like, this doesn't work. Like, this is nuts. And so, like, that was a big part of it. The 12 personnel stuff, I think you mentioned the Falcons were fourth in the NFL, 29% of their snaps they sent uh, spent in 12 personnel. The Steelers were down there at 18%. They were moving a little bit more in that direction. Uh, Arthur Smith has led the league for a while in two back sets. Now, that's still a small percentage of your looks, but he will give you more two back looks than probably two back, two tight end looks than anybody else um, in the league. He was uh, tops in 22 personnel, two running backs, two tight ends. And he was what fifth in uh, 21 personnel, uh, 19% behind those dolphins, uh, 49ers, Ravens, uh, Texans, those McDaniel tier, um, you know, type of offense or the, uh, sorry, Shannon um, uh, spinoff offenses. And so that him trying to be like those guys, but not having anywhere close to the scheme. It's just been a mess for Arthur Smith. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Like what he had worked for a little while, NFL solved it. And frankly, teams in the AFC just got better. Um, NFL solved it. He hasn't been able to be successful at what he wants to do. And so the passing attack's been limited as a result of that as well. And it just nothing he's tried has worked for three years. Like he's he did his best with a lot of different quarterbacks, by the way, in Atlanta that he couldn't. Matt Ryan obviously was near the end. I get it. Marcus Mariota, uh, then this Taylor Heineke and Desmond Ritter over that time. Like nothing worked. Nothing was impressive. Everybody struggled and, and was terrible in this offense. And so, yeah, when you talk about quarterbacks that are probably pretty tier similar to Marcus Mariota right now, if you ask them to start um, to maybe a little better than a Ritter, but probably not much. I mean, they haven't had the peaks probably the Ritter said like, it's a very similar group of quarterbacks that he's stepping into than the ones he just failed at. And everybody wants to say, Oh, he turned around Tannehill's career. Tannehill was never as bad as with the Steelers quarterback. He's always a tier above this quarterbacks the Steelers have had currently. And yes, Tannehill definitely played his best fo football under Arthur Smith. And I do think Smith deserves some credit for that. However, Tannehill was always better than the guys that the Steelers have had and never in his career has he been like on the level of some of these guys. And so I, I just think that's a huge difference. Like you're start two different starting points, right? These starting points for Pickett and, 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 um, and for Rudolph, if he's back, are going to be much more similar to the ones for a Mariota or a or a um, or a Ritter than they will be for anybody that came before. So that is another part of this that is in addition to the run stuff, which we're talking about in a little while, that is really mind-boggling me and the shotgun stuff too, Brad. Like well, the Falcons were dead last in the league in shotgun, twenty percent. Steelers were fifty percent, eighth. So are yep. now Pickett and Rudolph going to be under center quarterbacks? Like this is crazy.
that was so you, that was where I was going. Yes, uh, Steelers were eighth uh, in shotgun rate. The the Falcons were dead last, the distant dead last, like not even close yeah. to the rest of the NFL. The uh, Steelers are dead last in play action rate. The Falcons were second. Um, so yeah, we'll get into the run scheme, which is even more of a departure, frankly. But that's the thing too. So it's like, okay, are you going to ask Kenny Pickett, who dating back to his college days, if I'm not mistaken, like is a shotgun quarterback, like always has been. You're going to make him now learn how to play under center and tie up that footwork and all those components. And people think that like, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Like, am I, right. I'm saying tickets like inadequate. Like it, it's just, it's asking how to play a different sport. Like it's a very, very different thing to do and to tie your footwork to your passing concepts in the under center play action game. I, I mean, it, it's just it, like maybe Smith just changes, but we, we just haven't really seen that. And, and so, yeah, like, you know, we were, I was joking with you pre-show, is Ryan Tannehill now the bridge? Like, is that going to be the competition that gets brought in to play with Kenny Pickett? I'm half mm-hmm. kidding. Like, I think it's a very legitimate thing. It'd be No, I think it's, yeah, that's yeah. that's the ceiling of this organization is to go for players like that, basically. It would seem like they're at the end. Could we get another year or two competitive football out of them and be a middling team? Like, that's that's the kind of stuff this organization shoots for these days. Yeah, because Tannehill would have won, you know, 10 games with this team this year as well. Like, there's no question about it. And, and um, you know, so, so yeah, so they're just like massive, massive departures. And, and like you said, we'll get into the run game a little bit more, but it just, just can't be understated. And this is like me as a person who's like newer to, you know, this side of football, of course, and you've been doing it forever, like, I've asked quarterback coaches about these things and asked like just offensive players about these things. And it does happen, but this is the thing we keep coming back to in one off season, a pivotal, pivotal off season for the franchise is when you choose to try to elevate the thing you're already good at while changing everything that you do in that facet. So likely make it worse because I guess we'll get into it. Najee Harris makes zero sense in an outside zone rushing scheme as you've talked about all year. And he had his best year, I think, as a pro this year, frankly. Um, and, and then, yeah, just just everything about it is a massive departure. Personnel, alignment, it, tendencies, everything is a dramatic, dramatic change. It is. It's a huge change. Now, not all those changes are necessarily bad, to be clear. Like the right. play action rate, obviously, I've been hoping that the yeah. Steelers would run more play action for a while. However... The Falcons with Mariota two years ago, highest play action rate in the league. Mariota had 44%, something crazy like that, which I don't think anybody was even close to this season. Even this season, Ritter, I think, was at 32%. Heineke was lower when he was in, but there was a smaller sample size there. And one of the things that's pretty interesting, Matt Ryan was also pretty high in the league in play action rate. Ryan and Ritter were both very bad play action quarterbacks during their time under Arthur Smith. Like not, they did it a lot and they weren't good at it. Like it it wasn't successful for them. I believe I had, I pulled the numbers on this just to run through it. Cause that's one of my big things. I love play action that Arthur Smith does. I've consistently, when I've watched, not thought that his concepts off play action were that great. And yes, his quarterbacks weren't either. So like, that is a part of this. That's also going to be the case with Pittsburgh. So like, I mean, that does, it doesn't, nothing's going to elevate here. I don't think, um, but they were third in play action rate with Ritter, third in the league with Ritter last year, 32% compared to 41st for the Steelers at 16%. So like you said, huge deviation, right? This is a completely different thing. Um, they were only plus 1.3 yards per attempt off play action with Ritter. So in other words, 1.3 yards per, per attempt, more off play action passes than normal dropbacks, which is which is good to be plus, right? But it's 31st of 44 qualifying quarterbacks in general. In general, quarterbacks tend to be much better than 1.3 yards plus 1.3 yards per attempt off play action compared to normal dropbacks. So the fact that they were 31st of 44 is pretty weak. Pickett, by the way, was 33rd plus 1.1. 
yards per attempt off play action. So that was also the Steelers weren't good at it before either. But Mariota was better in this area. He was first in frequency. He didn't start that long. Obviously, he was bad in general, but he was ninth in yards per attempt added uh, in those situations uh, before he ended up getting benched for Desmond Ritter, who really struggled in that regard. So they have done a lot of play action. It has not necessarily brought much success for their quarterback off their play action stuff. Obviously in Tennessee, it was the opposite. They were very successful off play action in Tennessee. Again, my working theory has been, and I haven't studied every snap of Arthur Smith's career, but I feel like I've watched a good bit and have a good bit about, of knowledge about what he does. My understanding of like what's happened there is basically that a lot of teams solved and figured out what he was trying to do primarily. And he tried to get cuter with his personnel groupings to make up for that, but run the same stuff. And it just didn't fool people in general. So he kind of got solved. And like, I don't know that he's proven that he's going to could reverse that trend very often over the course of the last three years. And we talk a ton about two. And again, like not to oversimplify his football, but sometimes just like feeding your top guys, he tried to galaxy brain manufacturing the greatest play designs of all time instead of just, I don't know, throwing the ball to two top 10 draft picks in Kyle Pitts and, and Drake London and like let them make plays or scheme things up for his top players instead of trading for Johnu Smith and spamming Johnu Smith the entire season or, you know, Michael Pruitt. I think Michael Pruitt had as many red zone targets as Kyle Pitts. I'm making that up, but it felt that way uh, when I watched when I watched their game. So like, Again, it's good to be diverse. It's good to utilize every single player in your roster. We're not saying, you know, Andy Reid is pulling guys off the street and scoring touchdowns in the low red zone with them. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing inherently. But again, you have George Pickens and Deontay Johnson that did not get targeted target enough this season. And I, I don't have faith that he's going to, like, like, you know, build packages of plays around them. It's going to all be about just the team, the team, the team, the system, the system, the system. And, and again, there's positives in that. But it's just... It's we keep, we keep coming back to like what he accentuates wasn't the problem where he struggles is the problem. That's what's so bizarre. It's like he emphasizes the run game. And I want to get to your stats on that here because I know I, I got to do it before my mind completely breaks and shatters into a million pieces. And you got to get those stats out there for me. But um, th that's the biggest thing. It's what they brought him into fix wasn't actually broken. And in fact, it could now get worse, not only because statistically he's actually been much worse over three year sample size, which is a massive sample size, by the way, people have to understand like, how much context that is that is accounting for and taking in that big of a sample. Because at first I was just looking up this past season. I was like, okay, oh yeah, the Steelers were definitely a better rushing team than Atlanta this past season, which I know they were bad. They were 30th in rush EPA per play. So it's actually gotten worse over his time in Atlanta. It's not been good and it's gotten worse. So that's like not, not encouraging whatsoever. They were 27th in rush success rate. The Steelers were... 14th in rush EPA, 9th in success rate this past season. So even that, but even the pass play stuff, like the Steelers were 22nd in EPA per play this past year, which is not good. The Falcons were 25th. The Steelers were 19th in success rate as an offense. The Falcons were 21st. Like even that stuff, they're like in the same tier and the Steelers are a little bit higher in a lot of these areas. The Falcons were a little bit better in drop back EPA. Yeah, to drop back EPA, I think, uh, or maybe I had those back, but 21st and success rate for the Falcons, Steelers were 19th. Yeah, I think that's what I said. And But the Falcons' drop back numbers are a little bit better, success rate in EPA, but not considerably enough. Like, they're still not elite, above league average. Like, these, like the yeah. ceiling is just so low. Again, speaks to, like, just what this team, I don't think, is going to be able to accomplish now. And again, if we were sitting here saying, however, Smith was working with Desmond Ritter, but now he gets to come and work with a 32-year-old Ben Roethlisberger, maybe it'll improve. But, like, no, he's stepping into the same quarterback situation he's had. On the rushing thing real quick, the success rate. I mean, people need to appreciate how insane that is. You have... 
maybe the best run blocking guard in all of football, Chris Lindstrom. I, I think I, I probably, if you asked me to name it, I think I probably would say he is that. Um, you know, you can make that debate, whatever. But uh, he's very, very good. Um, you know, Caleb McGarry is a good run blocker. The uh, was it Drew Dominant Center is a good like like every single offensive line starter. They got great play. Yeah. Their uh, offensive the, line was better than Pittsburgh's has been by miles. Because I loved. I love their rookie coming out. I thought it was a great draft pick. The kid they took in the second round who played tackle in college, they kicked him inside a right guard. You know what I'm talking about? Or left guard. Bergeron, yeah. Loved Matthew Bergeron coming out, as, particularly, again, as a run blocker in space. He, he lost the speed to power in, in college. But anyway, like, so he had the tools. And, of course, the eighth overall pick running back that they took, uh, a guy by the name of Bijan Robinson, and you still did not have a good run game. Like, that's hard to I mean, do. That's one of the best running back prospects I have ever watched is Bijan Robinson. Yeah, and, and he yeah. still didn't run the ball well. <laughs> yeah, he had fewer rushing yards than, than, than rookie Tyler Algier. So, uh, so yeah, like it's just anyway. All let me dive into the the actual like approach standpoint. So, and yeah. again, before I before you say, get to that, one feel... other thing just on the scheme yeah, yeah. is before you get to the stats because that's going to yeah. accentuate what we're talking about here. But the the big thing in the scheme, and maybe you have actually specific numbers on it, but from what I've watched, I don't have the, all the exact numbers of percentage of plays, like in terms of the oh, scheme you. and stuff like I that. Got you got it. Okay, good. Cause I know the Falcons have been a wide zone team and, and Arthur Smith has been a wide zone run scheme guy and the Steelers. I think have run that very little uh, over the time that I've covered the team. And so like, I don't know, I would say like, I don't know. I, I've watched the other teams sometimes a little bit anecdotally, but I would say they're, I, I would guess, and you could tell me if I'm wrong or not, they're near the bottom of the league and in, in outside zone rushing. And now that's the scheme. Like that's not a fit for Jalen Warren or Najee Harris. No question at all. Now maybe Warren could make it work. Yeah. No for Harris. And not only that, these are two of the best runners in the league on gap scheme behind pullers. When you ask them, identify, this is the gap here, decide how you're hitting it, but hit it with speed. You don't have to read and react to things in the run. Like I said, maybe Warren's a bit more adaptive, but on the surface, one of the most interesting things about this hire is bad fit for Kenny Pickett, as we've talked about bad fit for Najee Harris which could mean any number of things, but it clearly doesn't mean it doesn't mean the Steelers do not seem to consider that or considered it and didn't care, which may express their feelings about uh, Pickett wouldn't be a surprise, but Harris would be. So anyway, go ahead, get to those numbers. Yeah. So not only are you correct, you, it is, it is hilarious how correct you are over the last three <laughs> seasons. The Falcons outside zone rate is 56%, which leads the NFL by 16% over the number two team in terms of percent of their run plays that are outside zone run plays. The Steelers ranked 24th in that category, less than one-third of the time, 18% compared to 56%. In the inverse, the Falcons we have as the 31st team in inside zone runs at 12%. The Steelers are 6th. I think sometimes we do mix up inside zone and duo, which is like a running Twitter joke and shit. But anyway, like, you know, so you have first versus 24th in outside zone, and then you have sixth for Pittsburgh in inside zone and 31st for the for Atlanta in inside zone. And then, you know, like you said, pull lead and like other stuff like that, like uh, favors, uh, you know, a trap and things we talked about mm -hmm. favors Pittsburgh a little bit. Whereas, you know, I think stuff like counter, there's more counters in, in the Falcons rushing attack. But I mean, that, that is a, dr a dramatic a departure um, as you could possibly have. And then on run plays in particular, the Falcons are fourth in motion rate. The Steelers did bump that up. They ended up getting in the top 20, but we talked about how that wasn't a very, um, you know, thing they did at a very high level. They finished the year 18th, but it's just, yeah, like, again, we're not saying – it's funny. We're not going to come on a podcast and be like changing from what Matt Canada did is a bad thing. That's not really what we're saying. It's just in some respects it is in the respects that Arthur Smith does uh, at, at a high level in theory. 
Um, but then also just, yeah, like if I'm Najee Harris, I'm like, okay, like, am I getting traded? Like I genuinely, I genuinely wonder, like, is, are they going to move me to some, you know, gap power team and, yeah. and, and add a, add a back with Jalen Warren and figure it out. Like I, I genuinely have that question if I'm Najee Harris. I do too, because he is just not an outside zone runner. Like that is just not going to work. Like I would just be so shocked. And Arthur Smith doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's very malleable about what he does. And like, oh, I'll just change it up and adapt to you guys. Like, no, no, like this guy's also like kind of a prick. And so like, that's another thing that makes this so interesting. Is like the Steelers have hired their third and four churlish OC uh, personalities now. Uh, I mean, Todd Ailey, Matt Canada, and Arthur Smith. Like you almost can't make it up. It's so funny. Um, and then you add in the fact that Brian Flores has pissed off a lot of people, the players that have played for him. And he was in this organization for a while. And it's, so it's just like, it's almost hilarious. Like how little thought they give to personality dynamics when it comes to players or coaches in the organization. It's, it's truly funny. Tomlin believes he is the cure all for everything. And he's probably been better at that than, than most other coaches around the league. But oh, yeah. As we've seen the last couple of years, nobody can be a cure all for all of these intricacies. Uh, it all ends up falling apart uh, in the end when you, especially when you don't have the same, <laughs> winning that you've had in the past winning cures everything not necessarily your head coach although he's helped but the winning hasn't been there to the same degree it's been in the past and so that's been a big part of this so those numbers are crazy like that is a huge deviation and the other thing i've actually asked some nfl i asked uh, mitchell schwartz about this one time we were chatting he said the big thing about outside zone is that if you're going to do it well it almost has to be what you do period like you have to run it a heavy amount of the time to do it well because there are so many different points of landing and intricacies of passing off players, especially if the defensive line is moving gaps and you're trying to pass play off from, from to one, somebody coming behind you in the zone scheme. Like it just, it requires a lot of repetition, a lot of communication and a lot of timing. If you can get it right, you can be awesome at it, but it almost has to be the thing you do. You can't just sprinkle it in there and expect it to be successful or build small. You almost have to build completely around it. And then once you've mastered it, go from there. We've seen that happen with Shannon. We've seen it happen with McDaniel. Like these guys built around outside zone and then once the outside zone was culture was established and teams had a good idea what they were doing up front, then they started melding all the counters off it, right? Shanahan became a big polls guy, you know? And so even if Arthur Smith does want to do some of that polling and things like that, he almost has to build so much of this around outside zone. If that's going to be continue to be his thing, which you'd imagine it is with a group that has barely done any of that in the course of their careers. And so we don't even have to necessarily get fit to fit with all the offensive linemen, although I find it to be, a completely head scratching fit for some of some of these guys. Um, but that part of it is also key is that like the Steelers are almost going to have to orient themselves around this scheme. And they can't just like, Oh, maybe they'll just sprinkle in some what Arthur Smith's done and keep a lot of what they've done in the past. Uh, I don't know. That, that part is curious to me. So that's where it gets to what you're talking about. They are trying to do uh, this wholesale change in the run game that didn't necessarily need it. They will do be doing some changes in the past game, which is needed. The biggest thing the Steelers needed from an offensive quarterback was somebody who was going to rethink play sequencing and rethink the pass game in general, like how they get to things. Play action being a part of that, obviously, which Arthur Smith will bring. However, his play action game has not been successful for several seasons now. And so you would love to do somebody who is going to change some of those things, but is going to be actually successful in the way that they do those things. So I'm all about the changes that would happen offensively. I'm all, I like going under center. I like play action. I like doing some of the things that they're going to, that they're probably going to do. I have no clue how it fits with the current players that are there, which means the growing pains could be significant. 
I do agree with you that Tannehill to me now feels very likely to be a Steelers offseason addition. It's going to be affordable. It's going to make yep. sense for him in his career. The yep. fit with Smith is probably going to make sense. I don't think Tannehill's ever said anything bad about him. So might as well get him in there. It's like reasonable. Like you could say, okay, he just lost his job to Will Levis. That was kind of an injury thing. But so like this is like it's not unrealistic whereas if you brought in Kirk Cousins it's not a competition like you can actually bring Tannehill and say he's going to compete for the starting job with Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph and even though we'd all expect Tannehill to win that competition as long as he's healthy it actually is plausible that that could happen so I think a lot of those things are likely and maybe some of this has an easier transition because of that but you basically and now I guess that makes sense given how they started Mason Rudolph for the stretch that they did they pretty much punted on Kenny Pickett at this point like this doesn't feel like a move to help Kenny Pickett whatsoever on paper which is interesting i've said before i don't think kenny pickett's the answer this process of finding that out has been absolutely terrible by pittsburgh so here is where i find where i want to take the discussion next and i know that in general this isn't pittsburgh you know what i'm about to say i do think the arthur smith hire is i know there are some traits that make it a pittsburgh hire but i also think it's a departure these guys aren't connected in any form or fashion um so I remember looking back on last offseason, and it's related to the Steelers, when the Rams traded for Kevin Dotson, I think collectively as an NFL ecosystem, we should have been like, why is an outside zone rushing scheme trading for a clear fit in a gap power scheme in, in, in Kevin Dotson? And lo and behold, the Rams changed their entire run game and actually changed to a run scheme that fit what Dotson does well. Um, and, and he was a fit in what they're actually doing now. I honestly think as I sit here that we bring in Tannehill that you do think about getting a Bonix, you know, athletic mobile type quarterback that can function in an offense like this in theory also put a lot of shotgun at Oregon. But like, I think Broderick Jones probably now stays at right tackle, frankly, because you want him to be the focal point of your run game off the right side. Like Caleb McGarry has been in Atlanta. They have Jake Matthews, who's the great pass blocker on the left side, but isn't like they're, they're not running pull lead to the left. Like, they're, like they, they just, I do think it, it it has to raise the antenna of, is this punting on Kenny Pickett and honestly just punting on, like, is it a true transition? And are, are they going to say, yeah, we're changing the entire offense, both the players and what we do. Um, and should we yeah, have our antennas up for move on from Najee, move on from Kenny Pickett, bring in Tannehill on a two-year, $10 million deal, draft to whatever quarterback, you know, if J.J. McCarthy's there at, at just like last year, he's there at 15, you're sitting there at 20, whatever the pick they have, you trade up a couple spots like they did with Broderick Jones, go get J.J. McCarthy, um, who I think would like, you know, need to sit him for a couple of years. I'm not a huge fan when I watched him, but would be like the ideal quarterback, I think, of this class for that type of concept, and I think will fall you know, that's the top 10 at least. So it's, that might be the direction they're going. That would be fascinating. It really would be. Um, Man, I don't know what to think. I, 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 on paper, you're absolutely right. That makes the most sense because this move just doesn't make any sense for Kenny Pickett. It doesn't make any sense for Mason Rudolph for Kenny Pickett, which Mason Rudolph was going to be a stopgap anyway, but it feels like they've just completely out on Pickett uh, at this point, which could mean the draft could mean, free agency like you know i mean we'll see get kirk cousins obviously that's going to be fascinating but i i definitely sounds like minnesota wants him back and that he would like wouldn't mind being back in minnesota i mean it seems like he and koc work pretty well together i don't know it's i really don't know what the upgraded quarterback could be that was the one like it was clear they could get oc better than this to me this offseason and they didn't um and 
quarterback to me was less clear this offseason, but having the OC in place could be a good first step, right, um, toward establishing kind of what you need. Um, I don't know where they go quarterback from here, honestly, but it, it certainly does not. Nothing about this move makes it seem like it makes sense for Kenny Pickett. Um, let's stick on the Najee Harris thing for a second. You mentioned potentially like a trade of Najee Harris. That would shock me just given the fact that I feel like Najee Harris is one of the actual few leaders on this team, and that's important for them. Also, they just continued to like lean on him more than Warren, despite the fact that Warren was better this past season. So it seems to me like they like him a lot. I don't think that's going to be the move. Um, I don't know what they get for him if they did. Like that to me doesn't probably going to be the move. The Steelers also like never do that. They don't really move on from players. I mean, even when they've horrendously disappointed, they don't move on from players until they just let them walk when they're free agents. They don't like cut guys or, you know, turn over new leaves before they don't admit some mistakes early at all. Drafting Harris in the first round was absolutely a mistake, but it's not the kind of mistake that it's a mistake because of the value of the position and how obviously you can find Warren in later rounds. Like it's not be a mistake because Harris has been so bad. Like Harris has been a good player for them. So that would shock me just for the record, like uh, to put that on the record for people. Um, However, I don't know that I see it being a fit. And so his effectiveness could be pretty muted. Could it be a trade deadline thing? If they're like, Oh, this hasn't working the way we thought it would probably not probably just a thing where they end up not picking up the fifth year and moving on. Um, Cause this is year four, right? For him. Yeah. Four, this is so. year four. So yeah, you, you probably just don't pick up the fifth. Well, it's super cheap. It's like $5 million that like, yeah, you never really know with do. that one, but, yeah. or then, but that's my thing, like not to be dramatic, but then, okay. Then Arthur Smith needs to depart at least yeah. in part from what he does. Cause like, I'm not sure this is not anti Najee. He was, I thought he was very good this year. You, mm-hmm. you've said that all year. Um, he cannot get to the edge and 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 fit in an outside zone, flowing one cut, get up field. You know, it's just he just that's just not his game. I mean, every single good run he's had. Think, think about it, every single good run he has is like is like when he can get a little pathway going downhill. Like yes, it's it's all gaps between stuff. He's so much better off poles. Like yeah, it's just yeah, it's just not a fit. So either Arthur Smith has to change or Najee Harris just isn't going to be effective this season. Um, so. We'll see. I uh, don't know what that's going to look like necessarily. Warren has a little bit better of a chance of fitting, but yeah. again, he's an, he's pretty – I mean, in terms of what he's been best at in the NFL, I don't think there's any question that he's also been very similar to Najee of what's best. So the fit schematically really doesn't make sense for the personnel they have. You mentioned how much the Cal Pitts and Drake London were used as uh, decoys in that offense so to open things up for lesser players. And he, like you said, big galaxy brain energy from Arthur Smith and that he thought he could outsmart people by using these guys and having defenses gravitate toward them and then throwing to other players and not utilizing them enough. Um, I think some of that was probably a little overblown to be fair to Smith. Like some of the pit stuff is yes, he's a tricky player to figure out how to use sometimes in the NFL, especially within this scheme. I will say that like, I don't think it was a, a good fit for Kyle Pitt's skill set. Steelers have more traditional inline tight ends, and you know Fryermuth isn't a great blocker, but he can play in line. And so, I don't think that part is a huge issue to me. Um, I will be very curious to see what happens with Pickens and Deontay Johnson. I will be mortified if this team doesn't play an eleven personnel more than half. Like they are not. Like this is Arthur Smith has to change that part of it, and that'll be a big part of our wide receiver three conversations that happen here. Um, very soon on this podcast that we'll be talking about, but that that part I think has to change a lot. W- what about the numbers you have uh, in terms of how often this team ran the ball in early downs? Because to me, this is one of the most concerning things about the Arthur Smith, the Arthur Smith um, tenure in Atlanta and just in general is that okay, it worked for a little while in Tennessee. You you caught some teams like it was sustainable for a small period of time, but over time, 
it didn't work and that was exposed in Atlanta yet. He didn't, I don't think he changed much too. So where, where are they at in terms of early down run frequency and success? Yeah. Well, just real quick, glad we didn't talk about wide receiver threes because that entire conversation is now different. I mean, yeah. Atlanta legitimately just didn't even try to have receivers outside of uh, yeah. Drake London. I mean, Kyle Pitts kind of is like at this point, like a pseudo X receiver at times, but like you have Matt Collins and Van Jefferson as like your intended, like, like depth options, guys that, Teams that didn't even have great receiving cores willfully let go um, for nothing. So um, anyway, from 2021 to 2023, the first down run rate for the Atlanta Falcons was first in the National Football League. <laughs> uh, I knew you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on first and second down, they were third in the NFL. On second and 10, after a first down incomplete pass, they were sixth. So like, you know, failed pass play. All right, we're going to run the football. So. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that's going to run the ball in early downs, try to get third and manageable, all the cliches, all the yada yada. And uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at. That's how you win in 2023 is, is my understanding. That's what, that's what the Chiefs do, right? They, they they set up third and manageable. It's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> By the way, during that time, I'm not sure, I'm sure you will not be surprised to learn the Falcons during 20, from 2021 to 2023 while they were trying this were 23rd in the NFL in EPA per play on first down uh, during that time. So another sterling mark, and they were 28th in success rate on first down. So not only did they, they basically set first down on fire at a higher rate than anybody else in the league and didn't weren't successful with their, with their strategy on first down at all, which was to be a heavy run team. The teams they were above during those past three years, the Texans who were barely playing an NFL roster for most of that time, the Jets, the Giants, and the Panthers. They were above those teams and not much above them either in terms of and, success rate. And to be clear on your success rate point, so th this is the key on the first down thing. I'm joking about the whole third manageable. Look, you can have a philosophy. It's not a ceiling-raising philosophy, but of course, there, there are always going to be NFL coaches that want to you know, use every down, get to third and two instead of third and eight because they incomplete a bunch of passes. I get that, but... When you have the 28th success rate on first downs and the highest run rate in the NFL, what that is saying is you are more likely than not in second and eight, third and eight, than you are in second and five, second and four. The success rate is simply 65% of the yards required on first down, 45% on second down, and getting the first down on third down. So, yeah, it's essentially saying that they are like they're, they're actively choosing to put their quarterback in a more difficult situation and having third and long or second and long dropbacks. And then also, like I said, they were sixth in the NFL and second and 10 run rate. So really, it's just like we want Kenny Pickett to be sitting in third and eight as much as possible. Uh, he's clutch, though. So it's it's clutch Kenny. So, you know, <laughs> uh, by the way, 28th in uh, rush success rate on first down during those three years and 23rd in rush EPA per play on first down uh, over those years. So, yeah, just about what you'd expect. Negative EPA per play, a 33.9% success rate is absolutely just disgusting. <laughs> disgusting on uh, and rush plays on first down. That is gross. By the way, the Steelers during that time, during the darkest offensive time era and close to Steelers modern history, for sure Steelers modern history, the Steelers were eighth in rush success rate on first down, by the way. And overall EPA per play, they were also, uh, or sorry, overall success rate offensively on first down. They were 20th to the Falcons, 28th. Um, so even in the darkest era of Steelers football on first down, of Steelers offensive football, they were better. So yes, I'm saying all this to say, like, Arthur Smith is better than Matt Canada. But as you go through the numbers, 
it's hard to find evidence of it. You're really leaning on those Tennessee years back in 2019, 2020 to make this seem plausible. Like everything, if he had just been promoted head coach of the Falcons and that was how it happened, this would be unthinkable. You are genuinely believing fully in 2019, 2020 for him as OC of the Tennessee Titans, that that success can be replicated. And that is honestly just like a little ways off for us to be relying on that when there's a massive recent sample size of him with even more control of what they're doing, of what he's doing, what his team is doing and more saying what his team is doing and what that looks like. And so it's a little bit ridiculous to go back to 2019, 2020, when we have these three more recent years to see how NFL defenses have adjusted to what he does to go off of. I'm not going to say everything about that era is trash, but we've just went over. Like to me, it wasn't a personnel problem in Atlanta, especially as the years went on. His offense got worse. This year was the worst for his offense, and the talent was better. Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson, that offensive line, like the t- the talent was good, and he was terrible. And that needs to be considered in this too. Is that like the Falcons in some ways were better? Like maybe Watership London's on the level of Pickens and Deontay Johnson. They'd be in a similar yeah. tier, yeah, for sure. Like Pitts is more talented than Frymouth. Bijan could be, I think, the best running back in the league next year. Like he could <laughs> yeah. be in that conversation. Like. So there's a lot of talent there for this team to be falling on the face. They played in a terrible division. They didn't yep. play hard schedule as a yep. result of that. They yep. couldn't be competitive in that. Now they're going to a division that had three playoff teams and the Bengals who <laughs> could be a Super Bowl contender were one of those teams. So it's really concerning higher on its face. Like, especially when you consider that Atlanta's defense improved and Ryan Nielsen was great there this past year. And without him, they don't finish seven and 10. This is like a four win team last year without Ryan Nielsen and that defense. So it's really concerning when you look at everything on paper and everything on tape. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about it. Yeah, no, the the, the schedule is important. We had the Falcons with the second easiest strength of schedule in the entire NFL. And in particular, looking at just opposing pass defenses, they were also one of the five easiest schedules in the entire NFL. We're not saying Desmond Ritter is a great player, but with that offensive line and those weapons to not it, – it'd be a good hire if he was – 15th in a bunch of passing categories. I'm not asking to be the best, you know, best passing game in the NFL with, with Desmond Ritter quarterback. We understand quarterback is, is so much of the, the operation, but there's not even evidence he was elevating Desmond Ritter. No, there really isn't. And that's, like, yeah, there's no evidence he's elevated anybody other than Ryan Daniel. And right. Like I said, Daniel was a tier above all these other quarterbacks that they're yeah. talking about. Now, yeah. if you get Daniel back, where's he at physically? That's probably a conversation for another podcast. Cause getting that far down the road at this point seems like a little bit like, it's just hard to know where Daniel is going to be at after this past year it was really bad when he played. He wasn't that healthy. He is older, but I don't know. Quarterbacks can play when they're older. So I don't know whether there's a huge physical drop off or not. I, I'm not totally sure what to think about Tannehill at this point in time, other than that it does seem pretty likely to me on its face value that he becomes a Pittsburgh Steeler at some point in the next couple of months. It's hard to hard to deny. Like Kirk Cousins, the odds, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. We go back and forth. Like, do you think, all right, Kirk Cousins more likely, Ryan Tannehill more likely, Russell Wilson less likely, in my opinion, because um, Smith wants to attack the middle of the field and Russ just doesn't do it. Fields, I know people love pairing Fields with the Falcons because of Arthur Smith in theory, I, I suppose. But um, they had the fourth overall pick that year, and and, and obviously took Kyle Pitts. Um, What's the theory there? I... Just that like all he can do is run the ball, I guess. So it would just like they have the best rushing attack of all time. But again, we've just just we've just What's... destroyed the idea that he even had a good rushing attack. So well, that is the theory. That, I, just... I think it's I think it's yeah. So another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And also, Smith doesn't run as quarterback really. Like Ritter would do a couple. He didn't have a he didn't have a running quarterback. I guess is the thought. But and and he didn't try to get one, right? I mean, guys who uh, could not some that we know of, obviously. Mariota. Yeah, Mariota. True, true. Mariota would be one. And, and Tannehill, you're not like designed running with. But obviously, actually, early Tannehill yeah. Titans days, there was some like keeper concepts and like stuff like that. So they've all been like adequate athletes, and that they right. could move. You could run a zone read if you needed to, something right. like that. But right. Fields would be. I mean, you would be – that would be a big part of the playbook, I would imagine. It would be a different level, I think. I don't know. I I, I don't necessarily see that one, but uh, who knows at this point. I'm, like, desperately trying to find a statistic to make me feel better about, like, what's – like, is there any – are they good at anything over the last three years? Like, how many guys have run an offense, been bad at everything over a three-year period, and then gotten a gig like this? Like, I just – I don't know what it would be. You know what I mean? Like, what is, what are you hanging your hat on here? Like a reputation from 2019, 2020 is, is yeah, that, that is what it is. Had? What else could it be? And like that he's like creative and has some unique, you know, cause not, not like picking on people, people that I respect, they do good work, but this was the like hot team. Everyone fell in love with Arthur Smith's yep. zany yep. wonky strategy and, and different like personnel packages, alignments, stuff like that. And like this almost kind of makes me think of like a Matt Nagy in Chicago, where it's like at the end of the day, if you're bread and butter foundational, we're lining up opposite you. You probably know what we're doing, but it doesn't matter. If that doesn't work, the fun bells and whistles don't really mean all that much. They were pretty high in the league in penalties, like in in a good way, like very few penalties. There you go. (laughs) Disciplinarian coming through. Right above Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh only was six the penalty. So Okay. Okay. Like maybe I don't know. I'm trying, man. It's just oh, it's so bleak. Like I'm not sure. Yeah. Like what? I mean, what is what is the positives here? Like I mean, like offense I said, didn't take many sacks. Like I said, Connor Hayward, get get a look at a bigger piece of real estate in the uh, the Pittsburgh area if you're Connor Hayward. Yeah. How does he fit? He's gonna be playing every snap. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, He's a I, rich I, man's Parker yeah. Hesse. Shout, shout be, out, Parker Hesse. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. I, well, let's see. Let me let me check one thing before we get off here, because let me uh, let's just look at real quick. Not that I think this is even necessarily predictable, but a season's a big sample size. Red zone offense. Okay. Yep, oh my yep, gosh. Yep. What do you I'll think pull, they I'll pull were? Up three years for you. Yeah, pull up three years for me. Let's hope uh, it's good. Let's hope it's good. Well, last year they were 29, 46.8%. Oh, my goodness. They were 29.8% is come – come the heck on, man. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Three years – let's see what they were on third down this past year. 
I was, I was about to pull that one up as you were looking at the. They're thirteenth, uh... thirteenth. That's the first okay, okay, fifteen ranking I've seen in any category that I think even remotely matters. Thirteenth in third down offense, forty. Yeah, and again, that is good, but it's also just because like there's a. Like, I'm gonna pull up like I'm pulling this up right now. I'm curious. So look, it is good to convert third downs. It's you obviously have answers to different you know teams maybe shift to more man coverage or do different things against you on third downs, but. Again, like we're talking about, if you want to elevate the offense, the, the the ceiling of your team. Okay, let's see. The last three years, some decent news here. Converting first downs into new first downs. They were 17th. I think that's honestly pretty pretty legit considering their quarterback play. <laughs> and considering um, uh, how bad what their how bad their strategy was on first down. <laughs> wait, I lied, I lied, I lied. They're 25th. Uh, I was gonna say that didn't really that's more in line. Yeah, it didn't register at all. Successor, yeah. Yeah. So they're okay. 17th at converting any new series of downs into a new series of downs. So that's 25th on first down. That is good radio. 12th on second down. And then like you said, they're and they're 11th on third down. Over I was going to the say, they've been years. a decent third down team. Decent third down team. But I do think the context of like the, the, their average distance to go on third down is probably lower, which again is not a bad thing, but it's for a reason because you're not having explosive plays on early downs. But anyway, down, yeah. Here's here's a stat. Maybe you can look this one up before we leave. While I'm reading off one other one that I found, but what? How often over the last three years? How often? How many third down attempts do the Falcons have compared to other teams in the league? And I know there's a lot of context in that, like other offenses, other turnovers. But three year sample size, like I wonder how often they're in third down, how and how often the Steelers have been in third down, just in general compared to the rest of the league. While you're looking at that one, I did find fourth down statistics, which I don't care much about the percentages. The Falcons were one of the worst fourth down teams in the league this past year. That It's too small a sample size for me yeah. to care that much about that per se, but they only attempted 19 fourth downs, which is 27th in the NFL, tied with the Steelers, actually. Oh, <laughs> so he will fit right into Tomlin's ultra-conservative, uh, archaic fourth down approach there. I don't think there will be much pushback. He has not a, been an aggressive coach in that way. So over the last three years, the total number of third downs run. Shockingly, Pittsburgh is first in the NFL at 748. Uh, Atlanta is 29th at 659. But I, I do like I'm, I, Arthur Smith is a guy that's going to run the play clock down to three seconds. He's going to like, th- you know, this is also a big, it's not in that tree, but like Shanahan does it, LaFleur does it, like all the McVay does it, where they want to run as few plays as humanly possible. They want to have 55 offensive snaps, not 70, right? and bleed the clock of these, you know, eight-minute drives. So there's probably some context there. But, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know. Yeah, that is that is good. Yeah, but that is good context. There's so much context with a stat like that. I always just like to look. But the Steelers being first is absolutely hilarious. Um, so. Yeah, because they definitely – the funny thing about Steelers being first is that that is, we know for a fact they probably have not run more plays than most teams because they just don't keep, they don't stay on the field that long. So they're probably getting into third down on the higher percentage of, of of series than any team in the NFL by an order of magnitudes. <laughs> like, yeah. like for awesome. example, the Chargers are second, and like that's because they run a like seventy five plays a game on because their defense is terrible and because you know they're on they're on the field so much. Like Pittsburgh, add the context, they probably have the highest rate of getting to third down in the NFL by a, a good margin. It's so funny. Oh, Brad, what are we gonna do, man? What are we gonna do? This is <laughs> this is messy. We are real going... messy. We're gonna cover it somehow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Any other interesting statistics? I will say the Falcons this past season were higher no huddle rate. 
than the Steelers, uh, much higher, maybe basically double 13%. They were seventh in the NFL. So perhaps we see a bit more no huddle at times. I don't know. There could be a lot of factors that went into that. And I'm sure there are better like filters for what, like no huddle. They were just in like lots more two minute situations offensively than other teams. I got, I'm not sure about that. Um, so other team, other statistics could probably um, look at that a little bit better, but yeah, fourth down, go for it rate. Uh, they were 26th Steelers were 30th um, in situations where it made sense to, to go for, or no, just all fourth downs. I guess that is. Yeah. So they were one of the lowest teams in the league. And, so and going for fourth down. in the red zone, they were 24th in the NFL over the last three years in mm-hmm. just scoring points, touchdowns or field goals. They were 24th in the NFL. It's not, it's not good. It's not <laughs> it's great. Not, it's not great. Over a th- and over a small sample size, I don't get into red zone too much, but over a three-year sample size, that's really significant, I think, because it's a play-calling issue then if you're talking about over that time. or short period of time, it could be a turnover, it could be a drop pass. There's so many other factors. But over a big period of time, you're not getting those things every single game. Like you're not having your quarterback miss every time for three straight years in that area of the field, especially with four different quarterbacks, Heineke, Ritter, Ryan, like uh, uh, Mariota. Like that's the common denominator is 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 Arthur Smith. The call is coming from in the house and it's not it's not not saying good things. And yeah, the call. Yeah. And then also just just pure touchdowns. Also 25th. So because, you know, I don't know, field goals less interesting. But yeah, so just scoring touchdowns once in the red zone, they were 25th in the NFL over the last three years. And that's again, like, like you said, yeah, he could be if the theory is, you know, situationally is good, getting third manageable to that. It's like all the areas where we could try to be like, he's not great at X, but even the butt is is not really there. Right. It It's like barely appealing <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. well at least they're like in third manageable well that's you know that's you can't sustain drives in third manageable all the time and no. his his offenses are proof of that like you he can convert maybe down down to just here and there but he can't score points 26 15 26 the last three years in points per game and that's just raw points per game that's not even counting for what defense or special teams did i'd have to look further at that part of it to know like how much of that was actually offense or if those numbers would be changed at all of that but Overall, yeah, I mean, this has not been a great scoring team, um, and they've obviously been bad in the red zone, and they've had trouble sustaining drives because they're always in third down, and you just can't sustain it if you're always in third down. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it is a philosophy that has proven it doesn't work, and so just as a run heavy philosophy, first down, you know, it's the artist down to run on is uh, those downs for second and, and long being a bad down to run on, like statistically, and him leaning. You have to do it sometimes, but him leaning so heavily into it, even with good personnel, and still not making it work, uh, just super super concerning. So, from a preparation standpoint, from a player execution standpoint, from a communication standpoint, I think things are going to be better because he is better than Matt Cannon, all those things. Like he actually knows what he's doing and he knows what he wants to do and like he's doing it and like he can communicate that to players. It's just that what he's doing doesn't necessarily, hasn't worked in the NFL um, for the last three years. uh, And that's a pretty big sample size. So that's more of the issue here to me is that like his philosophy and way of offense, while it's known what he wants to do and while he can even perhaps achieve the ceiling again that he did with the Titans of doing that offense, maybe that's in the cards for a short stretch. There's basically no ceiling beyond that that we've seen in his time in the NFL. And even that doesn't really translate to winning at the high level that you needed to offensively. So it's a real disappointing move because there were other better options that could have been out there. There were more high floor, high ceiling options that were out there that you could have tried. You could have tried going in another direction, a direction that could actually be one of growth and one of excitement. And you just didn't. Um, you chose some, or another 
kind of retread in these in this situation and a guy who is not only that but has actually failed miserably also been very churlish and and was a pain in the butt to deal with for media i don't know the players have spoken ill of him i I definitely have my reservations about his personality and have for for some time i don't know that there's been a lot of player issues necessarily but um he definitely has the type of personality where you're skeptical of those kinds of things and you'll be on the watch for those kinds of dynamics um given how his temper is very much he wears his emotions on his sleeve for sure um, so this is about a, as bad a fit from all angles as I can really imagine, Brad, like it really is a bizarre. Now I will say if that's in terms of just the fit in terms of the quality of the higher, like if I'm going to rank it, I would put it like a three out of 10 or something like that. The fit is like a zero out of 10, I feel like, which isn't necessarily all bad. Like we said, yeah. it just doesn't fit with the current roster at all. And maybe you're going to blow up some parts of this and we'll see if they keep all the pieces, then it will be equal parts. Arthur Smith is underwhelming and the fit is underwhelming and how that works. I have no idea. So there's multiple layers to this, but I think the fit is like a zero out of 10. And then Arthur Smith himself is like a three or four out of 10 to me. Um, although the numbers really indicate I I might be too high on Arthur Smith. Like it is pretty bleak. You know, I, I, I am willing to give something to his state level of success in Tennessee. I'm willing to give something to that. Cause I watched those teams and they were very efficient and clean for the most part. Like they really did play pretty good football. Uh, obviously that was a much better, that was a detail oriented coach group by Vrabel. Like he is on it in a way that I don't think Tom, they like get very different. I would say in their styles, like uh, players like Vrabel, I think, but I don't think in the same way with Tom, like I think Vrabel is a, is a taskmaster for sure. He will hold you accountable um, at every single turn. And so there is a detail and discipline to Tennessee that I think aided Smith and, and would aid him in Pittsburgh. If that were the case in Pittsburgh, I don't think that is the case in Pittsburgh. So that's another big difference that I wonder if we should draw on some, the fact that Vrabel, you know, did some pretty good things even after Smith. Now, obviously, it fell apart as injuries and age and things like that. They were one of the most injured teams in the league last season, 2022. And this past season, they just weren't very good. Um, um, so, yeah, I, I, there's something to it there. There's no way he can be as bad as he was. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I don't think he could be as bad as he was in Atlanta. Like, that would really be wild. Um, but the odds of them, like, what is the ceiling with this group? Is it like a ten- Titans-Baker-Mayfield run? The absolute ceiling. Like, if everything hit, they bring Tannehill in, he rediscovers his form from, what, three, four years ago now, um, and goes back to being that player. Like, can you? I can't even describe, I can't imagine this team winning a playoff game just based on what we know right now of the team. Um, but that might be the absolute ceiling. Is that even the ceiling? I'm not sure. All right, we're spinning positive. Just we we have to at least mention Tennessee. Like we just we laid out, you know, it's a different scenario. But all right, this team was third in the NFL in touchdown drive rate. They were number one in the NFL in yards per play at six yards per play. They were fourth yeah. in the NFL at EPA per play. They were six, uh, seventh in success rate. So okay, like the, the the stuff in Tennessee was very very good. There's no there's no question in that they were fourth in converting a series into a new series of downs. You know, there was good there, but like you said, the issue is there, we know a three-year sample size of him running the entire operation. And hey, you know, maybe he's just a coordinator. If he can focus on just his side of the football, he's coached receivers, he's coached offensive line, he's coached tight ends. He's actually been a defensive quality control coach in his early days when when Daddy Billionaire got him a job with the Commanders back in the day. 
Um, sorry. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that part of it, but I was. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, had to be done. Uh, I mean, no, he deserves where he is at this point. He's, he's like, I don't think he's in nepotism. I don't think nepotism is why he got a head coaching job. It's why he got a foot in the door, probably. But anyway, um, the Tennessee offense was was elite for his two years as a coordinator there. So, like, that is that, that they're basically just buying into that. We can recreate the magic that happened in Tennessee for those two years when he was OC. In 2019-2020, and I just laid out six different stats for their top seven, top six in all of them. It's just, it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, I have for years talked about that as being one of the great anomaly runs of the NFL was the Titans those two years. Um, you know, I think they were they were a good team that achieved more than I think. Like, they reached their absolute peak and ceiling. Like, there's no question about it. They got everything they could out of the roster. And, you know, heck of a job by Vrabel and Smith as well was a big part of that for sure. Um, you know, there was a good foundation set there before Smith, I think with LaFleur, but um, it was, it was still like, he, he did a good job. There's no doubt. Um, I just think if you, I just don't think that's, I've said for years before this, that I just don't like that model it, to me is like one of the outliers in today's NFL rather than one of the ones to be followed. And it seemed like the league would have certainly realized that after the Falcons, like everybody else should have like, has realized that it feels like, although Rappaport saying there was interest in him and, and perhaps other places he would have been a better fit. But when you combine the fact that I don't think he's a preferred candidate with the fact that the fit with the roster and the scheme, everything is just a really bad one, unless they just turn over a bunch of this stuff, which I would be surprised to, to surprising to me. Uh, and it, you get a pretty bad, a worse situation in Pittsburgh, I think, than you would maybe have gotten somewhere else. So maybe he can dial back to the Titans things. Maybe there's some things there that continue to work. Uh, but I think he leaned into a lot of that. So it's not like he totally changed in Atlanta and then none of that stuff worked and he could go back to what he did before. He did a lot of what he did in Tennessee. It just didn't work. He didn't have as good of players. And that was probably part of it. But also I think teams just caught up to what he was doing. They understood how to defend his concepts off play action way better. Daniel's whole resurgence was built off play action. Um, that was the golf was discovering himself off play action during this time. Was, I guess a little earlier, but yeah, he was, I mean, some of these years were years that he was, the whole play action thing was a boon in the league. And there's been, since then, you've had to build other things off play action, I think. And I don't think Atlanta's necessarily, and Smith's necessarily done that. So we'll see. But on the surface, yeah, this is uh, pretty disappointing to me. Yeah. And just one last thing, just I mentioned earlier to back it up. So, yeah, average plays per game on offense. The Falcons were 30th the last couple of years. Uh, the Titans were 29. This, this isn't good or bad. The Titans were 29th for those two years where I just rattled off how they were remarkably efficient. Yeah. I mean, having what the best running back of the last decade probably helps uh i'm sure yeah yeah so uh and yeah like you said to a good head coach and like yeah like maybe the, the rabel dynamic is similar to a tomlin you know dynamic with him but that's the big thing too for me the last piece i know we're kind of going on here but having success in a vacuum of two years no question elevated the talent to an extraordinary degree a people are going to adapt and adjust to you which they obviously did in atlanta but then b being successful because exactly what you wanted to do with those people worked phenomenally. But if you can't adapt and change what you do, like you just mentioned Sean McVay, we talked about the top of the show, the Rams offense this year was a dramatic departure from what it's been the last four or five years. So we haven't seen evidence of that for Arthur Smith. Like I just got a you know tweet response, like he can't change his offense. Uh, maybe he can, we haven't seen any evidence of him doing that yet. So anyway, anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point. All right. Uh, sorry, Steelers fans. I just genuinely really wanted to be positive for you about this hire. And if it was an unknown, I was just really willing to like, you know, not lie, but I just wanted to be really positive about it. And then when this one came down, I was just like, ah, tough. 
tough, tough, tough. Um, so anyway, we will continue to consider things uh, and we'll continue to keep open eyes as much as we can. We'll also see what happens at offensive line coach. Is Pat Meyer going to stay? Like it's a totally different scheme. I don't know how much that if this affects him or not. I guess we'll find all that out in the coming hours. But as for now, we plan Thursday to get back into talking about the different positions. We wanted to wait until an OC was hired to talk about the other positions on the, the positions of the Steelers offense. So maybe Thursday we'll talk about wide receiver three and what that could look like in this offense. We'll have to go based on Smith's last two offenses and we'll kind of study what some of the number threes have done there how this could change usage-wise for Pickens and Johnson. Will they play in the slot more? Will they play a lot more single? Like, I don't know. We'll just have to – we'll look at all that and kind of give you guys an idea of what a third receiver in this offense could look like. Because the last three years in Atlanta, they just didn't even use one. So uh, I don't know whether that will carry over or not. We will have to uh, wait and see. So until then, thanks, yeah. everybody, for – what you say? Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, I want to throw this in because we talked about it. There was – a insane uh, red zone success for the Titans. Those like, remember that those two years? Yes, they were like they were like the highest ever. Yes, like ever. So yeah, they, like we said, small samples, whatever. But he went from like the greatest two year stretch in the red zone of all time to like very bad the last three years. But anyway, sorry to yeah. interrupt the so, outro. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe the lesson is there. Just red zone stats are even over a big sample size might might not be great. But I don't know. It still seems like it has to mean something over a three year sample size and a two year sample size. I don't know. Anyway, either way, we will uh, we'll get back with you on Thursday and, and continue to try to solve the mystery that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Until then, appreciate y'all listening to another episode of the Yin's No Ball Podcast.